Hi! Hey, welcome to The Cordial Catholic, a podcast for non-Catholics, new Catholics, and those looking to dig deeper into the Catholic faith. I'm K. Albert Little, an evangelical convert to Catholicism, and this podcast is born out of one particular idea. It began for me when a Protestant pastor I was working for asked me the question, what's more important, the Bible or tradition? That led me on a deep dive into the history of Christianity, history of my faith, the history of the Bible, the biblical canon, the early church fathers, up through the Reformation and beyond. And that's when I encountered Catholic theology. And as I began to read what Catholics believed from actual Catholic sources, I realized what I thought Catholics knew, what I thought I knew about Catholics, I should say, was based in large part on misinformation and more often than not on simple misunderstandings. Well, this podcast serves to fill in that same gap, the gap between what you think Catholics believe and what we actually do. Each week, I have a real Catholic conversation with a real Catholic thinker from the heart of the Catholic Church. No misinformation here. And this week, I have more fun than I should in a conversation with Father Gregory Pine about the virtues, about grace, prudence, and living out the virtues. This is a fantastic conversation and a wonderful conversation partner. Father Gregory is an absolute riot, and I hope that the joy in this conversation comes through loud and clear in this episode. It was an absolutely a, a fun, incredible time with Father Gregory. I'll have to have him back as soon as I can. It was, it was lots of fun. I think you'll enjoy it. And we, in this episode, unpack living the virtues. It's this thing that as an evangelical, I didn't even have in my wheelhouse. It wasn't really even in my vocabulary, the idea of these virtues. You know, we went to church and heard a sermon and went, we're meant to live like Christ in this kind of nebulous kind of idea and how we apply that to our everyday lives. And living modern times was a bit of a stretch, a challenge sometimes. But Along come the, the ancient virtues from the history of, of rich history of the Catholic tradition and how we can actually, through grace infused in us, live out these virtues each and every day and become more and more like Christ. It's a fantastic conversation and a really a wonderful topic and a great guest to dig into this with. It's an absolute riot. I think you'll enjoy it. This episode is brought to you by our patrons at patreon.com slash cordialcatholic and one-time donors at paypal.me slash cordialcatholic. You know this, friends. This is not my full-time job. It takes a lot of work to do this thing each and every week, and your support helps make it affordable and possible to do this show as we go forward and to keep it going and growing. And I have a new patron to thank this week. Thank you, Sydney, for your support of the show. It's incredibly, incredibly welcome and, and very much appreciated. Thanks to all our patrons as well at patreon.com slash cordial catholic. And now, without any further ado, here's my fantastic conversation, Grace, Prudence, and Living the Virtues with Father Gregory Pine. Please listen and enjoy. Hey friends, welcome back to the show. Thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. If you're listening on podcasts, we're also on YouTube to watch what you're hearing on youtube.com slash The Cordial Catholic. And if you're watching on YouTube, thank you. Please subscribe and hit that bell and find us on podcasts everywhere. Find podcasts and really mediocre ones are found. We're everywhere. Uh, we're, I'm not sure which category we fit into some days. This episode, though, I know is in the good category. I shouldn't introduce it like that and then expect you, Father, to want to be on the show anymore. It's an okay podcast. I'm I'm joined by Father Gregory Pine. He is a Dominican friar from the province of St. Joseph, normally based in Washington, D.C., presently joining us from Switzerland, where he's doing some doctoral work out there. And for our purposes, uh, this episode, he's done all kinds of things. Of course, you've probably heard him, I'm sure, before. But for our purposes here, talking about his new book out from our Sunday visitor called Prudence, Choose Confidently, Live Boldly. Father, thank you for enduring this <laughs> thanks for being here <laughs> welcome to the show and hello hey my pleasure thanks for thanks for having me on i'm very delighted and also kudos to you for your podcast entry because podcast entries are a kind of subtle art insofar as you're trying to one conjure excitement about a fact that you may not be excited for so it's <laughs> like 
All right, because your audience is, is listening to it when they want to listen to it, but that doesn't necessarily mean that you're recording it when you want to record it. And oftentimes it's a time when you don't want to record it. So you're like, all right, excited. <laughs> Two, eloquent. Also three, I have to engage like I'm engaging with another person, but most of them aren't present. So here we go for a bizarro land experience of <laughs> whatever. So yeah, kudos to you. you you've, you've, you've nailed it. Oh, Father, I appreciate that you understand the, the finer part of podcasting. I wish I were napping right now, Father. I don't even want to be. <laughs> you know what? I don't even like you. All your stuff that you've done, Father, it's just, it bores me, and I have no interest at all in speaking to you. <laughs> Neither do the guests. Perfect. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You just got to start off on a yeah. truthful foot. Everything yeah. else will be better yeah, by comparison. Like the confessional Catholic. I get to be a really honest podcast, but like, a, <laughs> oh, gosh, I really can't stand this so-and-so, and... That's wonderful. Well, Father, I like to ask because you are joining us, those who are watching in a, in a habit. You look different than uh, some priests come on the show. You look different than most guests that come on the show. They don't normally wear what you are wearing unless they're, I don't know, heading to bed maybe sometimes. But yeah. tell us a bit about uh, your vocation, how you found yourself uh, with the Dominicans, what, what that entailed, just so the listeners get a sense of, of where you're coming from. I'd love to hear a bit about your vocation story if you would indulge us. Yeah, here we go. Indulgence forthcoming. Um <laughs> I think, so my go-to when it comes to vocation stories is to say that this story begins boring, it continues in a boring fashion, and it ends boringly. Um, so but that's okay, because Lord's grace is uh, constant and strong. Um, I think a lot of times people tell vocation stories, and it's like, it, there, there are some exotic vocation stories out there. You know, um, I will now make one up. I was on the set of Jurassic Park yeah. 4 Fallen Kingdom yeah. with Chris Pratt, cool. and I was responsible for the animatronic velociraptors, which formed the base for the CGI illustrations that were to be included in the movie. Yeah. And I thought that these animatronic velociraptors were non-animate, but actually in the course of the filming, no. they took on a life of their own, and I found myself being chased down a hillside in Kuala Lumpur by oh a band goodness. of raptors. Oh goodness, and just as I was about to be chased into the yawning maw of a huge chasm at the end of a cliff. I heard the voice of God. I was transported into the clouds. He said, you're to become a Dominican priest. And then my feet were set back down in Washington, D.C. I entered the order, and I've been happy ever since. Um, so none of that happened. But um, but sometimes when you hear vocation stories, they, they just sound so wild. And then you as an auditor are like, fascinating. That's really cool. Also, does God love me? Because my experience of the Christian life is nothing like that. Um, so I like to say that my vocation story is a boring story for the boring Christian. <laughs> Basically, I grew up in a Catholic family and we prayed. And then I went to school and my sisters were like, don't date for your first year at school because you're going to want to make good friends rather than spending all of your time with one woman who you will eventually break up with your senior year and then come subsequently to discover that you have sunk all of your human resources into a relationship which is now gone. So rather than a nihilistic end to your time at college, how about you make friends? I was like, wow, that's really bracing, but great advice. So I didn't date that year. And I went to a lecture about St. Thomas Aquinas, and I was like, this is incredible. Um, so the way in which it was Professor Eleanor Stump, who teaches at St. Oh. Louis University, and she talked about Aquinas on the nature of love, and it was like my socks were going up and down. It was so cool. Um, so I became very interested in St. Thomas, and I read a little bit about him. I read A Life of St. Thomas Aquinas, and at the end of it, I said to myself, uh, I want to love the Lord the way that he loves the Lord. So he was the first Dominican that I met. I hadn't yet met a living Dominican in like the classic sense of embodied living earthly Dominican. But when I met them subsequently, I was like, yeah, this will work. So then I entered the order and um, things happened subsequently, like profession, profession, ordination, ordination. And then here we are. <laughs> That's a fantastic story. Uh, both versions of that. I, I think actually <laughs> for me personally, the Eleanor Stump version is more interesting and exciting than the Jurassic Park version. I'm wow. a huge fan of uh, Eleanor Stump's work and I would oh, love nice. to sit okay. under her, under her teaching. That's a fantastic place to be. Wonderful. Uh, so let's go and talk about this idea of, uh, of prudence then. Where did this... Um, cause, you know what? I'll be honest. You know, as I am on this podcast, the confessional Catholic here, you there are a lot of books out there, huh? and I and I oh, get yeah. a and I get a lot of books uh, in the mail or, or, or yeah. solicitations for books, and and I, I thought, oh, prudence, like you know, what's going to be all be all about? But you begin to read your book, Father, and it's good. <laughs> it's a truthfully good book. It's really, wow. it, it's really, yeah, that's high praise, right? <laughs> Thanks. It's quite interesting. <laughs> I really, you know, I was really uh, drawn into it. It's really interesting. 
the your approach to this topic is not how I would have expected it to be approached. You know, it's not like a here are a list of the virtues, here are a list of the things to, to do and not not to do, and here's what you should do and how you should live. It's much more organic. It's much more uh, approachable. It kind of unfolds before the reader. Uh, I was really taken into this, so I'm, I'm curious to know how you how you approach this topic. Why why write on on the virtues? Where did that come from? Um, so like the proximate cause was the editor emailed me or called me and said, Hey, would you write a book about prudence? And I was like, party on. Um, but the background of that was I was, I'd been getting excited about the virtue of prudence for some number of years. Um, so it's like, it's like one of those things where you find yourself talking about a theme and then you realize that everyone is backing away and you're like, why is everyone backing away? And then you realize you're gesticulating wildly and sweating profusely. It's like, Whoa, really got animated there. Um, so I'd done some research on the virtue of prudence and I was like, holy smokes, this is incredible. We need to hear more about this because there are a bunch of people out there who are agonizing and anguishing over every decision that need be made as if human life were cracking the code or flipping to the answer key. When truth be told, human life is a kind of like ongoing series of partial answers and kind of semi mistakes which eventuates in a life of beatitude by God's grace. So like, I want to hear about that, right? Not in the sense that, you know, sometimes you hear people talk about our woundedness and they're completely content to leave you in your woundedness. It's like, let's just celebrate woundedness. Let's celebrate brokenness. It's like, no, no, no. Like God wants to heal. God wants to grow, but also God wants to heal and to grow through organic means, through human means. And we as human beings have limited access to the reasons on offer. And we also have like limited capacity to wield whatever tools lay ready at hand. And so we're just going to not going to like make a mess of things necessarily, but we're going to do it imperfectly. That's okay. All right. Not just in the mere sense, like we'll tolerate it, but like, that's the expectation. So I was like, that question motivates me. So let's talk about it for 161 pages. <laughs> Some of which are blank. Yeah. They are blank. Yeah. The title page is blank right now. As, as I saw it, my version <laughs> you sent me, I thought, well, what's this book called? <laughs> oh, it's fantastic though. And you know what? I, I, I love that approach to it because really it is very refreshing, right? It, it, there, there is that that deep need, I think, in culture, especially these days, as things are like I mean, happening at a, at a breakneck speed, and social media just is is before us, constantly vomiting out different things, to to really understand ourselves properly placed in that kind of context, right? I think that's 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 very refreshing. I one of the early early episodes I did in this show almost three years ago now, when I first started out, was with a good friend of mine, John Mark Grodi, on on the virtues, and that was. Very refreshing, and 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 listeners heard that and went, wow, I haven't heard this before. And your treatment is just that much more thorough because we neither of us were philosophers at the, at, the, at the time, and remain not philosophers. So, so, I don't know why I said at the time. Maybe a future, maybe in, in the future, we'll become philosophers. At any rate, your treatment is just so much more, in, you know, in depth and and getting at that deep seated need. I think that, that the culture has these days to to understand our 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 place in the scheme of things. If I can put it that yeah. way, I think that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that I have a desire to situate the question. All right, what do I think? I think that it's boring to answer a question that people haven't posed or right. it's boring to answer a question that you assume that they have posed, but you haven't like rehearsed it again. I think that um, like discourse should begin by kind of sussing the questions out. It should begin by kind of like getting those desires at least to rise to the level of coherent thought or, you know, maybe even enunciated word. Um, because otherwise, if you're just like addressing phantoms or shades, then it's, it's hard to like kind of hang your heart on a particular word or a particular proposal because it doesn't, it doesn't lodge, you know, in my, in my own humanity, it, it doesn't, doesn't take up a kind of residence in my heart. So I think that it's, yeah, I just think it's super important to, to motivate the question of virtue because I think people are motivated by, you know, happiness. People are motivated by the prospect of like flourishing, fulfillment, meaning, significance, yada, yada, thus and such. Or at the very least, people can recognize the fact that after they've watched six straight episodes or whatever Netflix show, you know, like they're not entirely content with the choice, but they can't enunciate why. And they want that vocabulary. They want that grammar so that they can um, approach the next decision maybe in a different way, not necessarily like I feel terrible. I am now going to censure myself, but in the sense, like, how do I grow beyond this? Because I hope that there is something more in store for me. I hope that human life, you know, opens out into, I don't know, like wider spaces at the very least. So yeah. 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 I, I love that. Well, you, you, 
pose a series of questions. Each chapter in this book is kind of a question, and where you kind of begin is the idea of happiness. And I like how this kind of unfolds. The idea of of so many of us think of, and this is, I mean, this resonates deeply with with me certainly. And sometimes the age of stages that we're at in our in our our family don't get a lot of sleep, don't get a lot of free time, don't get a lot of choice in what we're we're doing. And you pose the idea of happiness as this this far off land that we try to think about. Oh, if I do just do this thing, I'll, I'll be happy. If I just I'm heading towards this goal, and I'll be happy. Versus the idea of I, I think you'd maybe call a more Christian version of happiness, which is the happiness in in the present moment that God puts before us. Can you unpack the idea of I, I don't know? Can I call it Christian happiness? <laughs> that sounds really yeah, cheesy. Sure. I don't know. Yeah. I'm Christian happy. <laughs> that sounds like yeah, right. a bad I'm a particular kind of happy, yeah. which involves me looking tired yeah. and hungry yeah. and overworked. Okay. Yeah. So this tall haggard <laughs> child over here, he's doing great. Um, yeah. I think that, um, yeah, I think, I think that the Christian notion of happiness goes hand in hand with the Christian notion of vocation. There's a sense that you're called, you're formed according to a purpose. And you recognize as a result that your life has a particular shape, a particular trajectory. And I think that it's, we could call it whatever, you know, like it's delightful, it's rewarding, it's um, enjoy, it's whatever to, to recognize the fact or to experience the fact that you're tending along that trajectory or you're, you're assuming that shape, like you're, you're fitting as it were, you're doing the things for which you were made. And those might be very difficult things. They might demand of you sacrifice, um, uh, like deprivation, sleepless night. They might, they might ask very, very significant things of you, but you're willing to do it provided that you see it contributing to something real, like building up something good, you know? Um, so I think that in Christian conversations, we often foreground like the goods that are at stake, the good that are worth contributing to that are worth sacrificing for that are ultimately worth, you know, giving of your life for. And, um, so, it's not that we completely dismiss the question of, you know, like minimizing negative or otherwise stressful emotions, or, you know, like we don't think about mental health or we don't think about burnout or we don't think about whatever, you know, we, we take those into account, but ultimately within a bigger picture that has this sense of God's calling me and I'm responding. He's, he's equipping me. He's outfitting me with what I need. And as a result of which I know that the path set before me is at the very least possible. Um, but certainly it can be, it can be good. Yeah. Absolutely. And I think that notion too of this is this is so I think common in, in wider culture. You know, if I just get through this week and then I have a vacation next week, you know, I'll be happy then when I get through this thing that's right here when I go on vacation yeah. next, right? That that also creeps into the, the the Catholic point of view, I think a lot of times, right? The the idea that just need this one more thing to be happier. God wants me to do this one more thing and then I'll be happy versus realizing that we have that yeah, the vocation right now in the present, right? Not constantly looking towards that that next thing, right? Yeah, there's a line in that first chapter. Uh, real life is not elsewhere. Yeah, yeah. I think that sometimes we can begin to think somewhat magically as if my real life were just on the other side of whatever obstacle is presently occupying my thoughts. Um, you know, like, all right, so I'm living this, this, my life. All right. So, so what is happening in this, my life? So right now I'm writing the th third chapter of my dissertation. It's the longest chapter. It's the most conceptually difficult chapter. It's also just it, the, the chapter to be frank is just killing me. Right. Like I feel my very fragile humanity just kind of like crumbling under the oppressive weight of this chapter. <laughs> just, just like, you know, I'm, I'm not old enough to speak in such dramatic terms, but indulge me. Okay. So, um, I feel that I feel that acutely and it's not like, Oh yeah. At the other end of this chapter, I'll be re renewed. I'll be refreshed. I'll be re-energized because that's not happening. Right. Um, I don't think that that, that, that moment doesn't await me that, you know, I might have an opportunity to take a, a retreat at some point in the coming year for a few days, which will be nice. Um, and maybe I'll, you know, I'll feel refreshed after that retreat for a hot second, but like my life is, is pretty clear to me right now. Like, I know that I'm not going to get enough sleep. I know that I'm probably not going to eat as well or in as nourishing a way as I should. I know that I'll probably continue to take risks while hiking, which can continue to, like, compromise my bodily integrity. But that's okay. Like, that still fits within a framework of happiness. Might I attend to all of those things in some way, shape, or form? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No, no problem. Um, you know, plenty of people in my life who remind me of that on a regular basis. <clears throat> but, but for me, it's like I can assent to this vision because I know that it has a purpose 
right? And the sense is that, um, so like for instance today, like 525 where I looked at my computer screen and I said, I can't write another word or I'm going to chuck myself at my window. Don't be scandalized, my window is not that far off the ground. But um, I just, I, I answered some emails and a couple of emails in my inbox were from friends who were posing serious questions which required like some thinking. And I wasn't the freshest, but I had the sense that, yeah, yeah, like you're given to these relationships and so you can give yourself to these emails insofar as these emails are the means by which you give yourselves to these relationships, some of which are on the other side of an ocean. Um, and I think that that's, yeah, just like the simple sense of fit. That's the daily bread that God is more than content is overjoyed to dole out with a generous abundance. Like we can know that I was born for this, not in the sense that like I'm wielding the spear and I'm currently chasing Hector around the walls of Troy. It doesn't have to be that it doesn't have to be accolade. It can just be simple, right. To, to know that I'm here for this. And that gives us the conviction that real life is not elsewhere. Real life is here. It is now. It is present before me. It's not to be discovered by going over or under or around or whatever. It's 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 by embracing it. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. If I have the spear in my hand, though, suddenly I know that I'm in the wrong place. I think that's a pretty good indicator, <laughs> as far as I go. I, yeah. So before you even unpack, really, I think the 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 meat of the virtues, and there's lots of meat in this book to unpack. You talk about grace, and I think that's I so important because. Here's my, my take on this and the take of, I think, a lot of listeners to the show who may approach the Catholic faith from a non-Catholic perspective. They, they may be new converts looking at converting and, and hear a thing like, oh, here, here's how to live. Here's how to use prudence. Here are the virtues. And, and may, may think that we're approaching this as, well, I can do all this myself, right? Catholics are mm. this trope or this workspace religion. We do it all ourselves by our own means, pull up our own bootstraps and get on with it. And then God judges us on how well we pulled those bootstraps up, how well we practiced prudence and the virtues. But you, I think you had to preface this with a whole chapter about grace, because it's not really just by our own, I don't know, merits, but that we're doing these things, right? And so how... How does grace, before we even get into how to choose wisely and be prudent, how does grace inform or infuse all of that stuff? Yeah. I mean, it's fascinating. I love talking about grace. And I think the people, once they've heard about grace, they're happy to have heard about grace. But it's like, if I'm advertising a talk, for instance, then I'm giving him whatever, East Jibip, Switzerland. And I'm like, Father Gregory Pine, grace, like seven people are going to show up to that talk. But if I'm like, Father Gregory Pine, demons, you know, like 250 people show up to that talk. It's fascinating. It's like, I never tire of talking about grace, but I think it's so vague in so many people's yeah. minds that they can't really like cling to it. They can't lay hold of it. Um, but basically, grace is our participation in the divine life, right? And so God, who is uncreated, right, gives of himself such that we who are created can share in his uncreated life. There are some distinctions to be drawn there for another time. Um, and grace is such that it works itself into all the nooks and crannies of our human existence. And virtues are the way in which grace lodges in the different powers of our soul, which is a little bit like technically or philosophically jargonish, but it basically means you've got a mind with which to think, you've got a heart with which to love, you've got emotions with which to feel, but all of those need training in the good and the virtues see that out. And so when we approach a theme like prudence, something that's very practical, you know, it's about making decisions, there can be a temptation to approach it in a kind of self-healthy way. Like here I am just trying to whatever, like learn a little life hack. So that way I feel less regret at the end of the day. Um, or here I am, you know, using some cognitive behavioral therapy to address maladaptive thinking. So that way I can be you know, like more peaceful or more calm in otherwise stressful situations, all of which are like worthy and noble enterprises. And I'm not knocking those, but I'm just saying that in the context of the spiritual life, all of this is underwritten by the recognition that it's God's work. All right. So St. Paul asks first Corinthians four, what do I have that I have not received? If therefore I received it, why do I act or why do I boast or why do I comport myself as if it were my own? Um, and then I think about another line from it's maybe like James one or James two, uh, every good and perfect gift comes down to us from the father of lights. So, okay. Does that mean that we just recline in a bark lounger and wait for the time when God sees fit or deigns to bestow upon us an abundance of grace? No, right. Because often the way in which that grace is communicated is a, as an organic is a human way. Um, so it's often in going about your life that you come to discover opportunities for consenting to and cooperating with the grace that God gives. But the recognition is that God is the primary agent 
and that we are secondary agents. Dare I say, in certain circumstances, we are but instruments in his hands. Speaking metaphorically, God doesn't have hands. Jesus has hands. This isn't a Christology talk. Moving on. Um, so, yeah, I think the basic sense is that we come before the throne of grace as beggars, right? We, we beg for God. We beg for his grace. We beg for the means with which we hope, you know, to be able to carry out this life with anything approaching success or fidelity. Um, and, and that humbles us from the get-go, right? That makes us to be recollected in the fact that left to our own devices, we're bound to fail, not for pity party, but just for sobriety's sake. So, you know, come Lord Jesus, come and do not delay. I think that's just the, the kind of urgency with which we begin. Yeah. And I think for me, in perspective of a convert myself and, and talking to so many converts on this, on this show and interacting with them, I think the, the, the problem, to put it in, 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 in air quotes, with how non-Catholics see Catholics is they see us doing things to get grace, right? They see us going mm. to the Eucharist to get grace. They see us uh, going to confession to receive grace or being baptized and believe these things give us grace. And it seems like from an outside perspective, without giving maybe the Catholic faith a lot of uh, leeway or, or being very generous in the interpretation, it looks like we're just doing things to get grace, like an ATM, right? But that's, that's quite a, a misunderstanding, <laughs> I would argue. Yeah, yeah. 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 I like, I mean, the logic of first John is, uh, yeah, it's kind of my go-to logic. So sometimes you'll hear it said in like the faith works debate that Protestants think that we're justified by faith and Catholics think that we're justified by works. So misconception, we both think that we are justified by faith. Catholics and Lutherans actually signed a joint declaration yeah. in the late nineties to that effect. Um, but there's a kind of insistence in the Catholic tradition that faith need be living faith. All right. So it need be faith working hand in hand with charity. And then there's a kind of simplicity to the account in first John where, you know, the apostle John just says like, all right, if, if you've got charity going on in your life, then you should probably see the effects of it. All right. If it's real charity, then it'll look like real charity. So if you say like, I love my brother, but then you don't, then you're a liar and the truth is not in you. But by the same token, if you say, you know, that you love your brother and you do, then that probably indicates that you, you do <laughs> that like the grace of God is at work in your life. And that the, the faith that you profess is animated by a charity, which moves an anim like, or it's animated by a charity, which causes changes within this, uh, within this present evil age. Um, so yeah, I think that there's, yeah, there's a lot of common ground to be achieved between Catholics and Protestants on that issue. And I think that's just, yeah, it's just a very like sensible, straightforward argument that, well, I don't know if St. John would describe it as an argument, but, uh, that we hear proposed in that, uh, in that first epistle. Yeah, absolutely. So talking about the, the virtues, this for me was not a thing that I, I had in my vocabulary as a non-denominational mm -hmm. Christian. And I, you know, I was in that church for a long, long time and, and didn't hear talk about the virtues, right? We would be expected to emulate Christ. We, we read a lot, you know, we had hour-long sermons unpacking things that Jesus did or, or the epistles that Paul wrote and be, be teasing out ways to live from those sermons. That was often the point of these sermons, to, to, to read the Bible, study scripture, and then use that to inform how we live. And maybe yeah. it was just my corner of Protestant Christianity, but we didn't talk about the virtues. It was this thing that just wasn't talked about. Maybe it was just too Catholic, too, too well, you do these things, and then you, you know, that's how you be a good Catholic, and, and or, or whatever. Like, I don't know why we were so allergic to it, but uh, encountering the virtues was kind of an eye-opening thing for me, because it, it is a, you know, it, there's order to life, and the, and the church in wisdom gives us th these different ways of understanding our relation to how we are acting and growing in, in Christ and, and living out our, our life as, as good Catholics. We we have these tools, if I can call them tools, I don't know if that's the right word, you can, you can correct me, but I hadn't heard of them. It was really eye-opening. So I wonder if we can kind of start at, at the ground floor and unpack what those what those virtues are just to begin with at a very basic level? Is that too much to ask? No, let's do it. <laughs> um, yeah, just thinking as you describe it, I suspect that maybe one of the reasons for which there's less of an emphasis is because virtues are part of the story of sanctification. Right. Right. So, yes, God gives grace. He infuses it at baptism, whereby one is justified. But then the story keeps going um, as throughout the course of a life, an individual is sanctified by growth in the life of virtue, by a greater 
kind of exercise of the gifts of the Holy Spirit, which we might touch on or might not, um, things like that. So like the life of grace is a life. Uh, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me, or, you know, I am the vine, you are the branches. There's a kind of sap to it. And so it, it, um, it operates by its own interior logic and it seeks to kind of exercise its dominion with greater and greater perfection in the life of an individual. And so, um, yeah, the virtues are part of that story. Basically they're, they're part of how grace works itself out in a human life. So as to conform that individual more entirely or more wholly to the Lord Jesus Christ, who himself was, you know, full of grace and virtue. Um, so yeah, I think maybe, maybe that's a good place to start just to talk about it in terms of how grace grows and it continues to heal a person. It continues to elevate a person. It continues to inter- introduce a person into greater intimacy with Christ or it, it conforms one uh, more wholly and entirely to Christ. So that's, yeah, maybe that's a start. Yeah, I, lo- I love that because the the other, I mean, I guess kind of the flip side of that that I experienced as an evangelical Christian was this nebulous idea of being like Jesus, right? Mm. You you want grace in your life. We often prayed for grace and did things that we thought would, would and I think did, bring more grace into our lives. But it was very nebulous to just live live out with this this grace filled life, right? And and this I think puts some meat onto those the bones and it gives us some direction to know if we are if we are growing in that sense. Here's how it should look. Is that fair to say? I'm writing my dissertation basically on this question. <laughs> so I have like a lot of weird thoughts about it, which I think is probably the case. I mean, you, you send somebody to write a dissertation on whatever theme and it's basically like you've locked them in a closet with 350 books and just rattled it around for two straight years. And they come out just like, yeah. um, and you're like, Whoa, settle down there, sweetheart. Um, but yeah, this is, I mean, virtues, grace and virtues and the gifts of the Holy spirit are the nuts and bolts of our of our conformity to Christ, of our imaging Christ, who is himself the image of the Father. Um, yeah, I mean, there's many wild, patristic, and medieval things to be said about that very theme. But, you know, when St. Augustine talks about the most blessed Trinity, he says, you know, God thinks of himself, and his thought is so rich that he speaks it as a person, right? And that's the the word. And he says, the word is like God's notion of of God and of all things in God. So it's the perfect image of God. But then the image becomes the kind of exemplar, um, which I don't know if you would, your listeners, you know, if, if you would recognize that word, but like, you know, like the first edition of a book that you publish is called the exemplar because everything else is, is typified on that. So it's, it's the pattern as it were, it's the shape. Um, so that this image, which proceeds from the Father, is the exemplar of all creation. And so we who are made to the image of God are assimilated to God or conformed to God through the image of God. So we go to God through Christ. We go to God through the word that he speaks, through the image which makes him manifest, through the son in whom we are made, you know, adopted sons and daughters and co-heirs. And the very concrete means whereby that assimilation or that conformity is recognized or realized are grace, virtues, gifts of the Holy Spirit, because they get into our human lives and they transfigure them. They transform them. They make it such that, you know, fallen faculties are healed and grown beyond their bounds such that we can actually participate in God's own knowledge of himself and God's own love of himself. And we can like share in that conversation as it were speaking of conversation in a kind of loose sense, not just like chatting, but in the sense of sharing a life. Um, yeah. So things get wild when you talk about participation in the life of the most blessed Trinity. And insofar as virtue is, is part of that story. It is a wild, wild theme. I don't know that I talk about any of that in the book, but I've been thinking about it a lot recently. It's just so cool. Well, tell us what the the, the types of virtues there are, because there are there are uh, the church has discerned different kinds of virtues, and in those categories, different virtues. Uh, can you unpack that a little bit? And then I want to talk about uh, well, prudence. I, I think is a very important virtue, probably. But what underlays kind of uh, this framework? What, what are the the actual virtues, and, and how do they kind of fit? Yeah, yeah. Um, so usually, well, people list them in different ways, but we kind of go top down. Uh, so you have the theological virtues and they're called theological because they have God for their end. So faith, hope, and charity, you know, you recognize those. And, um, they're mentioned in first Corinthians 13 as a kind of triad, but by faith, we attain to God who is first truth, right? God who speaks, who reveals himself by hope. We, re, we will attain to God or we do attain to God as, um, as kind of like sought for end. 
So hope especially concerns eternal life. Like we want God's promises to, to apply to us. And we, we, we hope that they do based on the fact that God's omnipotent, so he can do it. And he's merciful, so he looks on us with mercy. Uh, and then charity attains to God as friend, as beloved. Um, so, so by charity, we share in God's own love, whereby we love him and we love our neighbor. Um, and then the next kind of rank or tier are sometimes referred to as the cardinal virtues, right? The four cardinal virtues or the moral virtues. Depends on what's in and what's out or what you're including or what you're excluding. But we'll just say moral virtues. Moral virtues are, are virtues of the appetites, all right? So you have a will, which is a rational appetite. It's kind of like a thinking appetite. And then you have the emotions, which are like um, irrational appetites or kind of sense appetites. Those are the types of appetites which we share with the animals, which is not to say that like we're animalistic, but it's just to say, it's just to say, whoa. it's just to say that um, we're, we're rational animals, truth be told. Um, and so those would be like justice, fortitude, and temperance. So they get into those different appetites and they regulate them, right? They, they kind of help align them with the rule of reason. And then you have the intellectual virtues, which they concern our, you get it, intellect. There you go. Uh, and some of them are for kind of like knowing for knowing's sake. So those would be like the, the, the nerdy virtues, like wisdom, knowledge, understanding. So this is a matter of, you know, being able to think through things well about mathematics or metaphysics or whatever. And then you have the virtues which inform our doing of things. Okay, so this would be the virtues of knowing for doing's sake. All right, and St. Thomas lists two, uh, one of which is called art, which isn't like art in the arty sense. Like I went to a museum and I saw art, but art for him is just all making. All right, when you like make a product. So it could be like carpentry or it could be like whatever, you're a sports agent, or it could be like whatever you're doing. If you're, if you're manipulating something in material reality and producing a product of some sort, that's art. And then prudence. And then, so prudence concerns agency. It's like when you make decisions of a moral sort, of a moral nature, not to say that they're, well, Father Gregory, say one thing and limit yourself to one thing. All right, I will. Um, so the idea here is that you're like, pursuing some practical end and that you as a, as a human being are engaged in that process as an agent. So like you're the protagonist you're bringing about and you need a virtue, which guides you through the process and sees out whatever the, the foreseen end is. That's the, I would say that's the basic shape or the basic breakdown. Yeah. That's fun. That's fun. Fantastic. Um, Thank you. Yeah. Just got to take a little breath there. And for, for both of us, <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's wonderful. I like a guest who can talk on a topic. Like at, at depth. That's, just, that's fantastic. Thank you, Father. So Cheers. you've written a book about prudence in particular. How yeah. does this interact with all of the other virtues? I mean, I think of, I often forget in the context of, of late night Twitter uh, browsing, which I shouldn't do. And I feel oh, like I'm often practicing prudence when I don't send those tweets that I want to. Um, uh, you know, it's those Jesuits who are writing things on Twitter that I don't <laughs> That's a little, that's a little uh, just a joke, joke for you, Father. As a Dominican, you. a little tip of the hat. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, you know, I often think of prudence in that sense that I am that I am uh, being prudent with the choices that I make on Twitter at night when I'm reading things that just drive me crazy. I, I choose not to respond. I feel like I'm, I'm making a heroic choice there, and practicing prudence. I think there's a lot more to it than that, though, Father. Yeah. <laughs> Unless your book is all just about Twitter, which I, I know that it's not. Uh, yeah, it's, well, the first chapter is about Instagram, but then the next seven are about Twitter, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, there is more to it than that. There is more to it than that. Did I say those words correctly? At a certain point, I lose track. Um, there's just such like a torrent of words that just spills over my lower lip that I lose track of syllables, and then I just hope that it makes some coherent sense yeah. to the auditor. Yeah. Um, so prudence is right reason in things to be done. So, so that part of that story is maybe being cautious or circumspect when you fear that were you to engage, you would do so in a way that would be destructive. But part of it is also engaging. And I think that the bottom line, in fact, is engaging. So in any prudent act, there are three main steps. You take counsel, whether with yourself or with others. And then you make a judgment as to what is to be done. And then you see that judgment through. And that last stage, St. Thomas calls command. And he says of prudence that prudence is the virtue which commands. 
So a lot of us have the mental association that prudence is, is taking counsel, right? Prudence is entertaining options, deliberating about them, pumping the brakes when need be, revisiting past decisions, maybe agonizing, maybe self-accusing, maybe doing, you know, like we think about prudence as, uh, well, I think everyone had, well, not everyone, but many people have in their mind the SNL sketch where Dana Carvey is playing George W. Bush and just <laughs> saying, like, I don't know if that would be prudent at this juncture. Um, we just think about it as a way to avoid commitment. We think about it as a way to yeah. avoid military entanglement or financial downfall or whatever, you know. But actually, prudence is about being the man in the ring. You know, prudence is about, um, you know, taking your life into your hands and seeing what comes of it. Uh, with a kind of yeah sense of abandon. So St. Thomas will will describe different parts or aspects of prudence, and some of them are surprising. So uh, I mean, some of them aren't surprising. Like he says, docility. So she'd be able to receive solid input from other people. Uh, but then he also says memory. Right, you should have a good sense for your own experience, and you shouldn't like black out every time it comes to making a decision. You should be able to check back in with your old self. So you're like, okay, the last seven times that I drank Belgian blondes. I had a raging headache in the morning. I don't know if that's causation or correlation, but I think I'm going to drink a Pilsner tonight. You know, it's like you have to be able to consult with your experience and make sense of it. Right. So it's not just enough to like have visited a variety of different countries and say, ah, oh, yes, well, when I was in Thailand, I had this excellent cuisine, which you will be very interested. No, it's just like that guy's a punk. All right. Nobody cares. Um, what, what matters is even if you stayed in your own zip code for 35 years that you've really lived in that zip code that you've drawn forth from the wisdom of that zip code and you're able to apply it to your life. Another one that he gives is shrewdness. So shrewdness for him is, I mean, it sounds terrible, but it's basically the capacity to make a snap judgment. Um, random example. Let's say that you live in Freiburg, Switzerland, theoretically. Let's say that you leave your house, you turn right and you're walking down the street towards the local convenience store to buy a $1 chilled coffee beverage because the thought of continuing for another three hours at your desk is just beyond belief. Um, and then like as you're crossing the intersection, you see a biker who is looking the wrong way and he just flips over the, like the, the hood of a car that is stopped at the corner and everyone on the corner just is just bewildered, spellbound, no way by which to respond to this thing because they just, they just didn't see it coming. But then there's this one guy, probably like an EMT or whatever, but he comes over, he checks the guy, he makes sure for whatever he like checks for neck injuries and he's assured of that. So he helps him sit up and blah, blah, blah. Like, like there are some people that they make quick judgments and they're able just to get to kind of like get into it without too much deliberation, without too much forethought, because they've been trained as it were to, to respond reasonably in the circumstances. That's part of prudence, which kind of challenges our notion that it's like, no, 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 being prudent, not for me tonight. You know, so I, I think that having a sense for all that goes into prudence can help fill out the picture and inspire in us a, a kind of engagement or a kind of renewed agency. I wonder who, whose voice you're doing with these accents. I, a few characters emerged here throughout the conversation. Yeah. It just makes me wonder. <laughs> makes me wonder too. Yeah. Sometimes I catch myself like uh, caricaturing the same type of person uh, a couple times in a row. It's like, do I have a grudge against like 57 year old women from Rockville Center? Because I've been like doing this a lot. It's like, you know, take it easy, chief. You know, you got to work that out before the show. Very specific. Too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> so I wonder, I mean, I, I feel a little bit like, so uh, to use this example again, maybe it's a, maybe it's a, I don't want to, Beat a dead horse, even as as a, as a metaphor. <laughs> that's that's horrible. <laughs> but or in real life, that's a horrible father. But I wonder. Terrible. So I I have you know for example trained myself to know that I should not be on Twitter late at night, or I'll say things that I will later regret. Is mm. that a good example of that kind of? I'm not jumping in there to save that biker over the hood, but I know for myself that I shouldn't be engaging in those times because every single time I do that, it ends up being not good outcome. Is that, good? Yeah. that makes sense? Yeah. I think that's, that's part of it. I think that a lot of people, they end their moral description with it's prudent because I don't do a bad thing. Yeah. But prudence isn't just repression. Yeah. Prudence is also like self donation. So part of the reason for which that's prudent is because you probably have an easier time falling to sleep, falling to sleep. Gosh, Gregory speak better. You probably have an easier time falling asleep because you're less riled up. And so when you wake up the next morning, you're probably more generous and patient with your children. You probably stand a better chance at getting in however many minutes of prayer before your day starts. Um, you're probably able to be more recollected, right? So it's all like part of what prudence does is it, 
I hate using the word tissue as a verb, but I'm going to do it. It like tissues your life together. So it shows you how things are connected and it itself forges those connections. So it makes of your life something more coherent. It makes of your life something more whole uh, because prudence is, is the eyes of the other virtues. Prudence is like the battlefield general, which surveys the field and says like cavalry there, artillery there, mortars there, you know, foot soldiers there, because he has a sense of the whole setting. He has a sense of the goal that needs to be achieved. And he has a sense of how all the particular parts play their role in the achieving of that goal. It's like, it's like providence of your own particular life. And so prudence actually marshals justice and fortitude and temperance in order to bring all these things to bear on your, you know, pursuit of flourishing in the context of the life of your family and your friends and your community and et cetera. So it's, it, it puts your life together. So it's not just a matter of like, all right, I'm not going to say mean things on Twitter or I'm not going to look at Twitter past a certain amount of whatever past a certain hour. It, it, Prudence asks the bigger question of like, how do I come to know and to love the Lord yet more perfectly? And how does that actually work itself out in all of the aspects of my life such that I can be attentive to them and such that I can be more given to them? Yeah, that, that's a fantastic way of putting that, Father. I'm curious to dig a bit deeper in the idea of docility and how that intersects with prudence because we use this, or I use this a lot on this show because one of the things that you do as a convert to the Catholic faith, this is, which is kind of so foreign to a lot of non-Catholic Christians, is we really, be, you know, you become Catholic not having everything always figured out. Like I don't have to, you don't become Catholic and have all your doctrines lined up and know exactly what the church believes on, on X, Y, and Z. You recognize that the church may may think of new things we haven't thought about, say, you know, cloning or, or AI, and these things might develop. You hadn't thought of these things through, and have to and have to be docile to the fact that the church is the church, and and know that. What I'm trying to say is trust more in the church than in your own intellect to solve all these problems first. Like, it's this weird concept that in non-Catholic Christianity, we're often looking at the Bible and figuring out what we believe, and then and then going from there. But to become Catholic, you have to be docile to, to the church in a way that you, you trust the church to figure things out and, and to tell you what, what is the right way to live and, and interpretation of these things. So it's this very like kind of attack, active, like I'm figuring out all my points of my doctrine for myself versus okay with leaning into the church and being docile to the fact to to the what the church says that it is and and trust in that I'm not sure I'm being super articulate in this moment no, but yeah. I'm curious how how prudence intersects with the idea of kind of being open to uh, you know open to the, the the breeze of the Holy Spirit or, or the advice of others in that sense is there yeah is there more to dig into there because that, that really fascinates me uh, personally. Yeah. Now, prudence kind of mobilizes reasons for acting. And in order to mobilize reasons for acting, you need to have reasons for acting. And maybe you can supply some of those reasons based on your experience of life or based on, you know, things that you've read or literature you've enjoyed or whatever it is. Okay. But a lot of times the compass of our decisions is beyond our particular competence. So what do we do? Despair, curl up in a ball, suck our thumbs? Yes, no. Um, you know, we take counsel from those who have been there, from those who have seen it, from those who have perhaps suffered for love of the goods that they found worthy of pursuit in the midst of, you know, whatever trial or temptation we ourselves are experiencing. And we have that, you know, in our family and in our friends and in our community. We have that in our polity. Please, God, we have that in our church. And I think that with the church, you have a, a particular boon, a particular gift. Insofar as, like, a lot of the decisions that you're making for, you know, the governance of your own life and the life of your family are just way beyond you. Because they can turn your eternal salvation, right? And so not only... Uh, do they do they speak of a place that you haven't yet experienced, but no one with whom you will speak on earth has yet experienced it. And so like, what are you going to do to chart a course towards heaven? You're going to have to rely on some authority who claims to speak for God, as it were, in these particular matters, because the stakes are high. <laughs> um, and so, you know, we have that in the docility that we express vis-a-vis -vis the church, because we look to the church um, to testify to the life of heaven, to testify to the life of God, and to speak prophetically and truly about all things in light of God. And in a particular way, and I said, preview of coming attractions that we might touch on the gifts of the Holy Spirit, here is that golden opportunity. Um, St. Thomas, following St. Augustine, following the broad, you know, Christian tradition in general, associates each of the virtues with a gift of the Holy Spirit. So he'll say that the virtues, you know, they perfect human activity, but at a certain point, 
human activity kind of comes up short. And so then it looks to a divine activity to supply for its lack. Um, and so the virtues are like certain habits of human competence, but then the gifts of the Holy Spirit are habits of openness to divine competence. Um, so you're trying to make a decision, you're coming up short, you feel like you don't have all the resources that you need. That's precisely the point at which uh, the gift of counsel, which is the gift of the Holy Spirit, which perfects prudence, that's precisely where counsel comes into play. So by the gift of counsel, you're able to entertain God's reasons. And so we have this kind of like simple folk wisdom within the Catholic Church where people are making a big decision. You'll often hear people say like, have you taken it before the Blessed Sacrament? And if you look at that from the perspective of an atheist, it's like, what in the world would that do? You know, like I've got this question that concerns whether or not, you know, like I sell my condominium and use the down payment for my next house to take my entire family on pilgrimage to Medjugorje because I feel like this might be something as part of our story of ongoing conversion. And you tell me that I should, I should take it before. Yes, that's exactly what I'm saying. Why? Well, because God speaks, because God reveals, and because he does so in a peculiar way, you know, like through this gift of the Holy Spirit, through counsel, and it's associated with his presence, with liturgical worship, with the context of, you know, the believing church. So, yeah, take it before the Lord. And so we say crazy things like this in the church, and it becomes second nature, such that we lose our bearings when other people are like, what are you saying? We're like, wait, you don't get this? <laughs> but yes, uh, so... Yes, docility is huge, and it's it's just it's it's a big part of the story of our salvation. I appreciate that you salvage a fantastic answer out of my my attempt at a question. <laughs> so thank you, Father. That was a wonderful <laughs> answer. And I, I this for me ties into kind of my next question for you, which is the idea of living boldly through practicing prudence, like this, or, or the virtues. This seems to be a bit of a, I think at first glance, a bit of a weird kind of dichotomy. How do we, how do we practice prudence and the virtues and live boldly? Like the virtues kind of seem like these maybe dusty, archaic kind of things that maybe grandma may have talked about. But living boldly, it seems like a the opposite to like practicing a virtue of, of prudence or temperance. Like bold is just I'm gonna go there and live live boldly. But then I think of people that I know who have who really live these lives, I, I think of on the, on the edge of their faith, like people who really just know how to respond in the moment to what God is calling them to do. And you always see them kind of at the forefront of, of what's happening in the faith. Like they're always the guy that's, or the girl that's there doing that thing just before everybody else is doing it because they have, have heard God and they're, they're actioning that plan and they're living what seems like this, just life on the, on the edge of, you know, what God's calling everyone to do. And it, they're almost like prophetic in that sense. And I think that is tied up in the idea of living boldly through, you know, through engendering the virtues in your life. I could be totally wrong, but is that kind of the, the idea of of living boldly through the virtues? Am I, am I kind of scratching the right, the right itch there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, um, let's see. I mean, a thought that comes to mind is St. Thomas describes the human person as a creature which attains to its end by many movements. So God doesn't attain to his end. God is his end, and he doesn't move, which is to say he doesn't change. Angels attain to their end by one movement. They just make the one choice. Whereas we make many choices, and our making of choices is the means whereby we attain to that end. So... As fast, I mean, a making of a choice might mean waiting on something, might mean being patient. So it doesn't mean that we're always careening forward pell-mell. But I think there's a kind of careening aspect to life. I think here of G.K. Chesterton's book on St. Francis of Assisi, he describes the scene where a beggar came to um, his father's, you know, like textile stall. And Francis Bernardone was, was minding the shop at that point. And he was trying to finish a sale. And this beggar came up and importuned him. Um, and he said, just hold on a second. I just got to finish this thing over here and I'll be right back. And so he finished up the sale and he turned and the beggar had left. And at that point, Francis is said to have taken all of the money that he had made from the sale of cloth that day. And then he just left the shop and just went careening through the streets of Assisi until he found the beggar. And then he just gave the beggar all of his profits. <laughs> and, and Chesterton adds something to the effect of, and he never ceased from that day careening. Um, so I think there's, there's something about a Christian's response to the gospel, which demands of us that we careen through life. 
Not that we're reckless, not that we're imprudent, right? But in the sense that we recognize um, that we're made for activity, we're made for action, we're made to exercise our agency, we're made to be protagonists of life. And so it's not for us to simply wash our hands of the serious business of living. We need to get those hands dirty with the recognition that, yes, there will be, you know, like you'll get nicked up. Those, there's going to be dirt under your nails. You're going to be looking pretty shabby at, at, at certain points of this journey, but that it's, it's for the purpose. It's for the end. It's for the goal of union with God, of friendship with God. And the only way in which we as human beings, by virtue of the fact that we've been created this way, can attain to that end is, is by acting. And, and prudence is just the virtue which empowers us or emboldens us to live that, you know, life of careening. And so that's what I, you know, kind of commend because oftentimes when it's, when it's a matter of moral decision-making, people will appeal to other principles, you know, which are worthy in their context, but which are more often principles of like evaluation or more often principles of like, you know, judging the validity or the legitimacy or whether this is mortal or venial. It's like, those are good things to know, but ultimately it's premised on the fact that we're moving towards the goal by the grace that God gives. Yeah, and there has to be a, a non-action in that situation is still an action, right? If I yep. choose to not do that thing, I'm still making that choice, and, and prudence has to be exercised in, in that situation, right? Uh, are you are you Canadian? <laughs> I am Canadian. Yeah. Okay, I love it. This this is why we come from the same continent, so that we can balance each other's excesses. Because <laughs> I'm over here just like sable rat- saber rattling and drum banging, and you're also like. Um, but, uh, but you're not crazy. Right. And I'm like, ah, I'm a little bit crazy. You're like, but, but you could be a little less crazy. I'm like, I could be a little less crazy. It's like, thank you, Canada. I, I love you. Um, so yes, no, for sure. For sure. For sure. Yeah. My Canadian is showing. I, That's I good. want to uh, ask you two more questions. And the first is this, you talk about, and this was felt a little bit, felt a little bit uncomfortable for me. Uh, I'll be honest, because one of the things that one of the, the things we hear over and over again as you grow up in, I think, an evangelical church is the idea that God has a plan for you. We can't, we can't know this plan, but just got to trust the plan and, and let it kind of unfold before us. But I feel like there's a, you push back on the idea and kind of go, well, no, we can know the plan, actually, <laughs> which seems interesting because God is this, uh, and of course, this is requires some qualification, but God is this infinite being who we can't know the plan like God knows the plan. But you, I think, push back and say, well, we can we can know, you know, in a limited sense, the plan. Am I getting that right? Yeah, yeah. No, I think, so God has a plan which encompasses all of creation. Obviously, we're not going to know that comprehensively because it's way beyond us. But as we grow in the Christian life, we can sympathize more and more with his providence, which is to say that we can play better and better our role within that plan. Um, But the thing I think which is kind of crazy is uh, I, I would just insist at the outset that you know enough right? You know enough, or you have access to the means whereby you can know enough. Because I think when, when people say like, God has a plan, but we can't know it, it's like a totally black box claim. It's like God's up there in his heavens and he's got a bushel full of vocations and he's just clutching them close to his breast and looking down on us as we struggle in the muck and mire of human existence. And after having foundered for seven long years, he finally deigns to bestow upon us a little shimmer of light such that we have sufficient clarity to take the next step so that we can spend the next seven years foundering again in the muck and the mind. No, it's like, that's so insane, you know? (laughs) So like the way in which God reveals his plan is often through our agency, which is to say, God makes us to cause, all right? And he makes us to cause in a way that's free. So God, God wills that necessary things happen necessarily. Great. He also wills that contingent things happen contingently, which is, that's really where the rubber hits the road for our freedom. God wants our actions to genuinely issue from our choices. He's not a puppeteer, right? We're not marionettes. This is real life. And God gives us sufficient access to the reasons we need to take the next step, to take the next next step, all right? All in conversation with him and in dependence upon him. But to a certain extent, like the plan of God, like that doesn't move me because that's not actually how God is communicating his concrete and particular plan for my life in my life. So that's what I have access to. And that's what actually motivates. Um, I mean, like a kind of corollary of this is uh, like, I'm not like a soulmate theory guy. I think that, you know, for, let's say that somebody listening to this podcast is a 26 year old man who's wondering whether or not he's going to get married in the next few years. Chances are maybe, you know, um, and there are probably like 12 women within, 
I don't know, an hour and 20 minutes of where you live, whom you could meet maybe by, I don't know, like a dating website or maybe by some app or I don't know what people do these days because I live under a rock and I'm an absolute <laughs> dinosaur. Um, but you could, you could find them, right? And you could be happy with them and you could have children with them and you could build a life which is wonderful with them. Um, but like, is, is there one that's foreordained from all eternity, which is laid up in God's heaven? Yes. Do you have access to that? No. Okay. Um, but does God make that, make that known through the exercise of your agency? He does. So, so act now, is that just like a, a just do it, go and date slash marry the next living, breathing thing in your vicinity? No, 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 no. It just means like live your life, right? Have the confidence to live your life because God gives you the confidence to live your life. I sounded really American there. Holy smokes. <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. I was very American, but also was fantastic. Yeah. Engendering the best of the American spirit. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank so you. my last question for you as we round this, this interview out, and hopefully it's been a good one for the listeners. Hopefully they've enjoyed your parts of the conversation at least. I, I wonder, so then how do we, when the rubber hits the road, how do we get more prudence? Do we, do we, are these things we should be, praying for in our lives? Are these things we should be striving after or just kind of sit back and hope that as we hear enough homilies and receive the Eucharist enough and go to confession enough, these things just kind of bubble up into us and, and uh, by osmosis become part of us. How do we, how do we, you know, live life better, you know, through, through acquiring these? So what, what do we do? Help us, Father. Yeah. Um, when it comes like particularly to the virtue of prudence, I think that it's good to uh, like one study, uh, so like read something about it. There are good books written about prudence. Romano Guardini has a good book about the virtues. Fulton Sheen has a good book about the virtues. I think people find those authors both very readable. Uh, I wrote a book about prudence, obviously. Yeah, you, have a um, <laughs> you know, like, okay, if you're watching on YouTube, I just blew on my fingernails and then dusted them off of my habit. Um, to what end? I know not. Okay. So, so study is helpful. Another thing is like, so, so journaling can be a helpful practice, especially when it comes to making decisions. Decisions look differently before, during, and after. And I think it's good to be recollected in that. So that way you can craft your before in light of other durings and afters. Um, you, can, you can also set for yourself kind of decision-making challenges. So if you tend to be vacillating, if you tend to have a hard time making up your mind, maybe challenge yourself to make a decision and stick to it. All right. So let's say you're the type of person that when you take a long car ride, you wait for the last available moment to gas up your vehicle. All right. Um, and it causes you some stress and maybe you've run out of gas on the highway. Maybe you ran out of gas in Delaware at the Christiana exit and you had to call your parents in order to bring a gas can down to you, even though it was two hours extra. I mean, I wouldn't know what that's like. Um, right. So may maybe you can, you know, challenge yourself to be more decisive about when you gas up and how you gas up or something like that. It's like you're, you, every time you see, you know, like a, a rest stop pass. You're like, maybe I'll get the next one. Maybe I'll get the, it's just like, you're just deferring decision-making. It's just like, okay, you see one, you get it, whatever. Maybe you waste some time insofar as you spend more time at gas stations than you could have otherwise, but you don't end up on the side of the road stranded without gas. Um, or maybe if you tend to be overly decisive, challenge yourself to take counsel with one or two wise persons before making, you know, whatever, whatever decisions are currently before you. And then, um, yeah, see if you can incorporate their advice. So like challenge your excess or challenge your defect by counsel. Another thing, too, would be I think that you can grow in prudence by reading good literature um, because you see in good literature a human yeah, experience yeah. kind of spun out uh, and it affords you a kind of unique entry into that human experience because the author has had an insight. The author has communicated that insight or kind of transposed that insight into a readable medium. And then you're able to partake of that insight, but it's a kind of whole cloth insight. So it gives you a real unique share in the humanity of another, both author and then characters. And I think that that affords you a kind of broader scope for living from which you can, you know, you can certainly grow as a human person. And I think that's, yeah, that's, that's humanizing. That's in addition to the normal bread and butter stuff, like, you know, obviously prayer, sacrament, penance, et cetera. Uh, but those are, those are some small things. That's some fantastic homework, Father. I appreciate that. <laughs> Dostoevsky, that's a good place to start. Yeah. Oh, man, dude. Uh, this is a <laughs> bone of contention. I'm not a big Dostoevsky fan. He's just oh, too no. much the psychologist for me. I'm more of a Tolstoy fan. Okay. I just read Anna Karenina. Holy smokes. You know what? I read that on ebook, and so I had no idea how thick it was. It's, you know, yeah. it's on, on digital. You can't tell. And I'm getting uh -uh. through it. I'm like, okay, 1%. 1%, 1%. I read 200 pages. I'm still 1% through the book. And I thought, how long is this book? So I went and saw it and, you know, we, we had a copy and paperback. And I thought, oh my gosh, okay, that's why it's, I'll, I'll get there. <laughs> yeah, I, um, I like Russian novels 
for like extended periods of time where you have, you're able to read, you know, 60, 70 pages at a sitting. Like if you're visiting your family for a few days after Christmas or something like that, good times. Um, I, I don't like it for going to bed reading because it's like psychological torture and I'm asleep. Psychological torture. And I'm asleep. It's like, nah, it's oh, brutal. With your checklist of names next to the book. I have to read the book. Oh, yeah, exactly. I love it. Father, this has been really fun. Hopefully listeners will enjoy this. I think they will have it. I'm, I'm so pleased I've had you on the show. Uh, the book is Prudence, Choose Confidently, Live Boldly from Our Sunday Visitor. Anywhere else you want to point listeners towards to, I mean, find more of your stuff, hear more of you or things you want to recommend they should, they should check out. What do you want to, what do you want to say as we close this thing off? Sure. Yeah. Um, let's see. I contribute to two podcasts. One is called Pints with Aquinas, which, um, Never heard of it before. I make a couple no. of videos. Yeah. Uh, each week and then God's planning, which is a podcast of my province of Dominican. So there's five of us that contribute to that. So those are sweet. Uh, I recommend those. And also we're having retreats this summer in New York and in, um, let's see, North Carolina to which you are most cordially invited. And then, yeah, those are the main things. Yeah. Those are the main things. That sounds fantastic. Uh, I want to say thank you, Father, for being here on the show. Truly, thanks for your time. Uh, thank you for this this book you've given to the church, which I think is fantastic. I think I said it was, uh, <laughs> I first described it, but I'll say it's a fantastic book. It really is great. I love the way you approach it. Highly readable, like the other ones that you mentioned. Uh, I appreciate that you, you list these esteemed authors, and you slide in, the, in, the, in there as well. So well done. Well done, Father. <laughs> I don't know the dusty of the nails thing. I don't get that, but I don't think you did either so we're, we're on good terms uh god bless you father thank you for your ministry thank you for your work uh for the church and thanks for being here today hey thanks so much for having me <laughs> fantastic Hopefully you enjoyed that conversation with Father Gregory Pine. It was an absolute ride to have him on the show. What a guy. I love his dry sense of humor. Very Canadian of him, actually, whether he knows that or not. Wonderful conversation. TheCordialCatholic.com is our website for show notes and links for my blog as well. We're at CordialCatholic on Instagram and Twitter. YouTube.com slash TheCordialCatholic and TheCordialCatholic on Facebook. Please find us in all those places if you can. Hey, if you like this show and, and want to rate it or review it, you please go ahead on Apple Podcasts, leave a rating and review, and a, a written review really helps to push the podcast out to new people too. And you also can review on Spotify now, or rate on Spotify as well. Please do that too if you're listening on Spotify. I'd really appreciate that. Those ratings and reviews really do help push the podcast out to new listeners and grow the, the mission, the, the mission of this show. CordialCatholic at gmail.com is our email address for your feedback. I love hearing from you guys. love hearing where you're listening from, why you're listening, and, and who you are in your story. And know that I'm praying for all those listeners who write in and everyone who's listening in particular. Please do reach out, though. I love hearing from you. It's always a joy. Patreon.com slash CordialCatholic or PayPal.me slash CordialCatholic to support the show financially. Your underpinning helps this thing to keep on going and growing week after week after week. And really, it is deeply appreciated and hopefully, I, I think, worthwhile as well. Thanks for listening, friends. Know that I'm praying for you. Please pray for me too. And I'll talk to you again next week. Thanks so much, friends. Take care and God bless. This show is brought to you in a special way by our co-producer patrons over at patreon.com slash cordialcathy. A special thanks to Ellie and Tom, Kelvin and Susan, Stephen, Suzanne and Victor, Phil, Noah, Nicole, Michelle, Jordan, John, James, Gina, and Aram for your special support at the co-producer tier and making this thing possible. You guys are fantastic. God bless and thanks for your support.